All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fucksters? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF, my show, the podcast, WTF. It's been fun lately. Been moving along. Some good interviews, some good conversations, some good talk. Last week, Paul Thomas Anderson, Richard Linklater. Awesome. This Thursday, got Mike Judge, who I don't think talks a lot publicly, and we're from the same place, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Had a great conversation with Mike. Today, I got Jeff Garland on. Me and Jeff go way back, but uh, I actually got a few words in. That doesn't always happen with Jeff. And in a minute, we've got sort of a special guest. Something's been eating at me, eating away at me a bit, is that last week, I vaguely addressed my feelings about the Bill Cosby situation by not even mentioning his name. And I'm starting to feel a little cowardly about it or or something i i just don't it's very strange the feelings you have around realizing or coming to realize that uh that somebody you've looked up to or respected or thought so differently of is is such a a sociopathic monster it's a very hard thing to reckon with and, you know i have no religion and i can only imagine that on some level it must be the same for catholics wrestling with a with a, a local priest who is has been rumored but now is fairly decisive you got to be a moron not to know that the rumors are true how do you deal with that and i think a lot of us use due process as a rationalization absolutely the predominance of the law is is phenomenal it's it's uh you know for the most part it's supposed to be what makes our legal system so enviable and amazing but, you know, at what point do we start using due process as a rationalization to, to not engage our, our, our common sense or our own logic or, our, or, or to, to sort of overcome our own fear of speaking what we believe is true? I mean, I'm that, I'm that guy. I think we're all that guy. Hey, you know, it's like, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But people in power are rarely proven guilty. Certainly the type of power that Cosby has enjoyed his entire life as an entertainer. Uh, the money he's made for other people. It sort of makes him a bit untouchable. And there have been events in the past where he's been able to politically or financially uh, get out of or, 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 or crush articles or, or interviews with him. But those days are over. This is, a, this is an old man, Cosby. And it's hard as a comic to, to, to realize this stuff. And what, does, what is our responsibility around it? Uh, for me, I know a lot of guys are like, hey, man, if he did it, you know, it's horrible. Well, I think he did it. And it's horrible. But what, what, what do we do now? Do we just let it go? Is, is that it? You know? And I think a lot of people have just, uh, just refused to uh, want to admit it at all. But I mean, how much do you talk about it? I have not talked about it at all. Now, I'm not saying you know, Bill Cosby is going to come out onto this show. I, from what I heard a year or so ago, when I really wanted to get it, wanted to get him on the show, he wouldn't do it because uh, the there was the F word in the title of the show. You know, being a decent guy that he is. But something happened on stage last week that kind of you know kind of grossed me out apparently he was on stage 
in Canada, and he made reference to the accusations against him, to the rape accusations by 30-some-odd women. You know, average it out. After a certain point, I mean, you know, it's he's a bad guy. It's true. I've decided, and I'm nobody, but it's my personal opinion. It's horrible. But he was on stage making light of it. Said to a woman in the audience who was going out to the bar to get a drink, he said, be careful, don't drink it around me. So when he's using the platform of stand-up comedy to obfuscate, make light of, and trivialize what he's playing off as you know, empty accusations is, is heinous. And I knew that Judd Apatow was, was very public about it, his feelings about it. And obviously, you know, he's in a position to where he can, you know, be as honest as he wants to be. No one's going to, he's not going to be punished. Yes, there, there's nothing to be afraid of if you're Judd Apatow in this business. And look, I, I mean, I love, I love Cosby as a comic. And I don't know what to do with that. You know, I, it's all very mixed up. The emotions are mixed up. How do I separate it now? Am I going to be able to? I might be able to. I Can I still say, well, he did some great comedy, but he's this horrible rapist monster. Can I do that? Can I compartmentalize that? I don't know. I have not done those experiments. But clearly, Judd uh, is able and has been able to completely separate the influence of Growing up with Bill Cosby as a comedic hero, respecting Bill Cosby as an entertainer and a, and a, a, a cultural activist, he was, he's been able to separate all that, to put all that aside to assess this situation. But it had been eating me about, this is my show, my beat is the comedy community. That's where this started and that's where most of it remains and I felt, you know, I felt bad that I was not talking about it because I didn't know how to talk about it. And now I'm talking about it. And I want to talk to Judd about it because he's been very upfront about his feelings and what they mean and what this, what this Cosby situation means to comedy, to culture, to show business. And I just wanted to, you know, I, a lot of you had seen his tweets, and, but I wanted to get into it a little bit. So I called Judd Apatow a few days ago And we talked about Bill Cosby. Mark, how are you? I'm fine, Judd. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, in the final stages of editing uh, the Amy Schumer movie Trainwreck. And what's that coming in under? Um, You know, we got it at about, uh, I think we're at a solid two hours. Yeah, might be, it might be a new record for me. <laughs> so, all right. Well, here's what's going on with me. You know, like I have been. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm shying away from addressing the Bill Cosby situation. I I have to sort of ex- really kind of question myself as to you know, how do I how how do I talk about it? What are my feelings about it? And I think ultimately, what happens, you know, with me is you sort of lean on that. That, uh, well, you know, if it's true, 
then it's horrible. And then it gets to a point where we're at now where I realize it is true. There's no way that this many incidents can happen with these personal stories. And so I know that it's horrible, but what, but what, what do we do now? And you talk about it on Twitter constantly. So what, what do you want to happen? One thing uh, that I do know is I, I'm not comfortable with him running around the country doing stand-up like nothing's happening. And I guess on some level I feel like I, I can't be a part of uh, solving that many problems in the world. I do my best to get involved where I can be effective. But this is our neighborhood, and I do feel like there's someone running around who, who should be in a different type of building right now. You know, there was a comedian named Vince Champ. Yeah, I, I knew him. He, remember him? He was arrested uh, because they looked at his college touring schedule, and in many of the cities that he was in on those days, people had been raped. He's in jail for life right now. Right. But Bill Cosby, I, I think one of the other issues is that when somebody has as much power as Bill Cosby and like despite what you know, Patton says or or what you are, may have known, I, I mean, I was not really aware of 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 this uh, of the reality of this. And, and apparently a lot of people were aware of it years and years ago. And until uh, Hannibal said something, I, it wasn't really on my radar. And and I think it's a, it's pretty unbelievable for a lot of people. And there doesn't seem to be any legal recourse so the whole due process argument of of kind of like you know innocent until proven guilty does not really apply and he's a very powerful guy so you you wonder what justice looks like and i understand what you're saying but it seems like he's definitely been hobbled his legacy has been destroyed and and he doesn't seem to be able to work much in this in this country at this point would you like to see him in jail oh i absolutely would like to see him in jail i mean that's where uh you know, people who uh, commit sexual assaults go. Right. He should be in jail. And it is. I think that when celebrities commit heinous crimes, people don't want to let go of their love for their work and their lifelong relationship with them. If we admit that Cosby did this, we're not allowed to enjoy everything that made us so happy. And, in, and I guess in some primal way, we don't want to let go of those memories and those feelings. And I think ultimately we have to decide that uh, it's way more important uh, that he is uh, dealt with in the same manner anyone else is who commits those types of crimes. And he shouldn't be uh, performing. Hey, he got two standing ovations last night. And he has, he, he's booked through the, you know, through the spring. And are people going to book him again? Maybe they will if we don't uh, complain about it. And, and and I guess on the, the most recent performances, he alluded to it and and joked about it, you know, in a room full of, of people that were obviously adoring fans. And he got a standing ovation uh, from what I, I read, you know, just from or a massive amount of applause just for the joke he made, uh, you know, about uh, some woman was getting up to get a drink. And he, he said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to get a drink. And he said, well, you better you better be careful and not drink that around me. And it just got a huge amount of laughter. And I think that's what's sort of triggered my uh, my, uh, I guess, action or my my desire to call you is that, you know, he's now using, you know, our our form and his form 
to sort of trivialize this thing where he has not made a statement about it at all. And now he's using jokes to trivialize it. Well, he's certainly not saying this. On that date, when they said I was at uh, the Playboy Club, I was uh, in Europe shooting a movie. Like, he, he doesn't have a response that's specific to any of the 33 people. And if you didn't do it, you'd probably be, be pretty pissed off. And, it, and you know what? The timeline you know, wouldn't match up. You know, so it is a Vince Champ situation in that way. He doesn't have an alibi for any one of these people. And you only need one of these people to be telling the truth for him to deserve to be in prison. What I think people have trouble uh, facing is, what would it feel like to be standing with Bill Cosby? You take a drink of something, or you take a pill that uh, he told you was something that it wasn't, and you slowly start passing out, and you're looking at him, and you're thinking, what in God's name is about to happen? It is bone-chilling. It's a horror movie. And I don't think people really want to close their eyes and imagine what it's like as you're going unconscious to know that somebody is about to abuse you in that way. And then you'll, you won't be able to complain because he could say, what, we were partying. What, we were like drinking, doing pills. Like, it, it's a setup to make the person unable to complain. Right, and it's it's so loaded anyways, and so many of these women were afraid of him, and so many women, in, in you know, generally speaking, who are victims of sexual crime, uh, are uh, find themselves ashamed or unable to speak out, and and uh, and certainly with somebody as powerful as Bill Cosby, uh, obviously a lot of these women just couldn't even fathom addressing it publicly. Well, I think a lot of people who want to get into acting, and a lot of people he preyed upon were want to be actresses or actresses. Even if he did it, they think complaining about it probably ends my career. People will think that, you know, I'm trouble. That's why he always went for the same type of person for the vast majority of the time. Because you, you become branded that person. Even now, these people in their 60s and their 70s, and, and, and most all of them don't want any money. They're just trying to be honest. Uh, they're humiliated. I mean, there's nothing fun about being 70 years old and having to go on CNN and saying Bill Cosby raped you. Like, that's not fun. It's, it brands you in, in a way. It's, it's, it takes an enormous amount of courage to stand up and, and talk about it. Uh, but I think that uh, you know people like to think, oh, they're all going to get rich. Believe me, most of these people aren't getting rich off of this. Might a few people get remunerated in some way? Sure. Do they deserve it? Absolutely. That's why people sue people. If you if you do something to someone and it messes with their life and it messes with their psychology and causes them great pain, he should pay those people. But when I when I when we were you know engaging over over text that you know you feel that there is a. a, a there's no response coming from from Hollywood, you know, as our community. You know, I've talked to people. I've I, I've said something. Most of the people that I've talked to, and I've seen a couple of people address it on stage, you know, fairly succinctly. Uh, I saw Sherrod Carmichael address it with a with a very pointed joke. I saw Rob Schneider talk about it a bit uh, in in a more personal way, less pointed. Uh, I you know I've you know I know that uh, you know uh, Chris Rock has said you know if he did it. Uh, it's horrible. With there's still a qualifier there. I mean, what do you? What would you like Hollywood to say? And what do you think is disproportionate in terms of how Hollywood's responding? 
Well, I think it's the path of least resistance. Nobody wants to stand up for anything that can't help them in some way. So what are the chances that Bill Cosby pulls out a date book and shows that he was not in those locations for all 33 of those women? It's, it's zero. <laughs> so even in a situation where Bill Cosby clearly did it, nobody wants to risk the idea that, for the one in a billion chances uh, that uh, that they're wrong, that they get in trouble. But the truth is, if I was raped, I don't expect courts to need 33 witnesses to convict my rapist. You know, a lot of people are in jail because one person spoke up and said this happened. So we're so far past the normal uh, bar for proof. And so everybody in Hollywood, for the most part, there's a few people that are standing up, like Rosie O'Donnell. There's some comedians that are standing up. But there aren't very important figures in our business who say, you know what? This isn't a racial issue. We don't want people like this in our community. This is wrong. People who commit these acts should be in prison. And I believe these women. There's 33 women. Go on the computer. And there's videos of every one of these women in great detail explaining what's happening. It is bone-chilling, the, the amount of detail that uh, they remember. We're way beyond the point of, like, did this happen or did this not happen? It's just, you know, certain uh, statutes of limitations are allowing him to avoid dealing with this. Now, what do you think about when somebody like uh, the showrunner from Blackish, Kenya Barris, comes at you and says, well, you know, let it go? I spoke to him uh, afterwards about that. I, I, you know, I can understand why someone would say, why does Judd care about this? I don't know. I have two daughters. I'm a comedian. I see him a little bit as our comedy dad. It's like finding out your comedy dad is a really evil guy. And you want to say, hey, does everybody care about this? that he's doing that, and when the community is pretty silent, then I feel like, well, if no one's going to talk, I'm going to talk. If everybody was talking about it, I probably wouldn't have that much to say about it. But I, I don't want it to suddenly disappear, and then he just kind of goes back out on the road and just does his thing and has his hundreds of millions of dollars, and all of those women are shamed for coming out. They're all ignored, which is just re-injuring all of those people. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I, I and I and I certainly appreciate what you're saying and what you're doing. I just it, it, there is a, a, a hopelessness to to it in, in that he is still very powerful. He, he is not going to be taken to task. And I guess the only way to make him uh, responsible, which he won't be or at least answer to uh, to the reality of the situation is is diminish his ability to work. Well, you just don't want him having a blast. That's how I look at it. I, I don't want him running around getting standing ovations. You know, at the very least, go in your mansion and disappear for the rest of your life. Right. You know, he shouldn't be rewarded and applauded uh, for raping that many women. What do you and that's a huge commitment to rape, by the way. We we're talking about this starting in the mid-60s. That's a full commitment for for four decades. Well, yeah, so obviously somehow numbers are somehow in his mind, uh, you know, he had, uh, you know, he, this was the way he was going to go about it. He was going to be this guy that drugged women and then, uh, you know, then raped him and somehow, and somehow in his sick mind, you know, he had made that. Okay. That's, you know, that's what serial uh, sociopaths do. 
Did you see the video of him on the Larry King show in the 90s? And he's talking about Spanish flies. He is absolutely giddy laughing about the concept of doing that to women. People need to look it up. It's really uh, horrifying. He thinks it's hysterical. He can't even hide it. And that's, you know, look up everything I've ever done in my career. I never brought up Spanish flies. That's not something anyone brings up. <laughs> Drugging women so they'll have sex with you. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, really, it's really a sick situation. I think it's the saddest, most bizarre, in a way, Shakespearean episode that's ever happened in show business. I mean, right now, when he's sitting home with his wife, Camille, what are they talking about? <laughs> What's happening in that house? What does his butler think? What does all hits the news? What, do, what does his assistant think? Are they all in some cult of Cosby where it's cool, or are they terrified? Well, I think, actually, I think that's a... an old man, and so everyone thinks, oh, that was a long time ago. But there's people just hanging out with him right now. I know. I think that. Well, I think that does happen. I mean, there is a certain sort of Stockholm syndrome type of cultish uh, uh, psychology that happens around the powerful. Uh, you know, the people that surround the powerful. There certainly is plenty of people that still are willing not to believe any of these accusations. What do you make of that? Well, the people who don't want to believe it, it's like the same reason why people don't want to believe that Michael Jackson ever did anything with kids. They just love Thriller, and they don't want to give it up. Well, maybe that's how his butler and his wife are able to sit there and uh, have dinner. I'm sure if, if you went back in history to when I first heard about these accusations, it probably took me way too long for it to sink in that this happened. Uh, but it's, but it's, uh, it's very troublesome, mainly due to the... the silence because people should say this is this is wrong it's not it's not the hardest thing in the world to say oh by the way there's 33 women saying this i believe them and this is wrong and people don't say it and look what happened when mel gibson got in trouble yeah mel gibson for just making you know comments was tossed from the business for years they 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 burnt that guy on the stake for comments and this you know this is actual, you know, violent acts. It was a, a very sort of a lukewarm reaction. I, I think that you're right, though. I think that it, it's that if you don't keep it in the public sphere, I understand your argument is that, you know, those people that refuse to to believe it or, or see their their lovable hero in that way will just, you know, eventually evolve into giving him a pass. And even people that uh, if nothing is done about it, uh, eventually it'll just fade from public memory. Well, it also makes women who are assaulted not speak up. So the reason to say Bill Cosby is a terrible man, and I believe these women, is so that women aren't hiding in their homes in shame when people commit violent crimes against them. I mean, that's why everybody has to say, I just want to go on record, I believe these women. But you're, you're not seeing important people say that. It is dead silent out there, and I find it very, very troubling. Uh, it reminds me of the North Korea uh, issue with the interview. You know, our whole town was ready to just shut down on the freedom of speech issue. Nobody spoke up and said, you know, we have freedom of speech regardless of the content. You know, you're not allowed to tell us that we can't have freedom of speech anymore. You know, it's much different overseas. You know, the incredible passion 
to fight for that freedom. Uh, but here, everyone backed down. Yeah, I, I, it just seems that, you know, people within the business world, you know, will always, uh, their default is, you know, to protect business or to try to keep business in the, you know, uh, the status quo without really fighting the good fight. They'd rather just take the hit financially and not cause trouble and then move on. For the most part, that's the case. And I think that that that, that money wins the day for the most part. You know, at the Bill Cosby show, everybody knows that this guy is up to no good. They may not know he's raping people, but he's certainly doing terrible things with women and casting couches and cheating on his wife. Everyone at that show knows what's happening. It is not a secret. I've worked on television shows. If I had sex with one of the extras of girls, you would know about it three hours later. Well, you probably, yeah, yeah, I, that, that's true, Judd. <laughs> it's not that anyone in this industry was unaware that he was a, well, that's a what wretch. I'm, well, that's everybody, what I'm saying. Everybody it's knew that, that he was a terrible guy for decades and decades. It was not a secret in our industry. But when it goes into this kind of criminal activity and all those people remain silent or say, that's not the Bill Cosby I knew, well... I'm sure the Bill Cosby you knew was also awful in a different way. <laughs> he wasn't a great guy. Everybody, everybody knows. I have a relative who was working on a TV show, and Bill Cosby was the guest star. And before he arrived, everyone was like, she needs to stay away from Cosby. Make sure he doesn't see her. Really? So his, his reputation preceded him for decades and decades. But, mo- but people aren't even coming out talking about just, you know, the those types of stories of, of just, you know, a guy on the hunt yeah. for a very long time. And I think part of it is, is uh, the racial aspect of it. Because, yes, he did things that were very important in the civil rights struggle. And he did great things. But he also did some things that were as evil as you can do on Earth. And there's a lot of great people who fight for civil rights, and we don't need him. We don't need his legacy. There are a lot of other people we, who, who, who we can look up to, and we can say, you know what, he did great things, and he also did evil things. But the fact that he did great things doesn't mean you ignore this type of violence. Right. And I don't look at it like this is about you know, a black person or a white person. You know, to me, Bill Cosby is a comedian. Right. And I just look at it as someone in my family did something terrible, and I think we all should be clear and say, this is awful. We don't accept this in our comedy community. Agreed. And I appreciate you talking to me, man. You know, I love this subject because when I talk about it, I completely lose my sense of humor. (laughs) And I remember during the Iraq War, the run-up to the Iraq war, Janine Garofalo would be on TV all the time. And I thought, oh, I wish she could do this with a sense of humor, because she was right about everything, and she predicted everything bad that would happen in the Middle East, but she didn't find a way to make it funny. And so people resisted her thoughts. And I know I'm doing the exact same thing, and, and I completely relate, because when something is that awful and that painful, it's very hard to hold on to your sense of humor. So uh, on this day, I, uh, I commend John Stewart <laughs> as the greatest genius of all time, even though he doesn't like you for some reason. <laughs> uh, there's a reason. But, but, uh, <laughs> but thanks for talking to me, man. I'm uh, glad you're doing well. All right. Thanks, Mark.
It's Jeff Garland's turn. Jeff Garland and I go back years and years. We didn't come up together, but I've known him. He's been on my periphery for a while. I think I first met him in San Francisco. We'll talk about that. But he's also appeared. He was in the first season of uh, of Marin on IFC. Uh, I have done his show. He has done a live version of this show. But I was happy he was able to sit down and talk because my concern with Jeff is always, am I going to talk? Is there going to be talking available? Is there going to be talking time available for me, Mark Marin, and my own show? And Jeff and I share some things, uh, different styles of it. He's got food issues. I got food issues. He's got them. He wrote about them. But uh, but I think we got down to something here. You know, it's it's not easy to get Jeff to 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 sort of engage and listen. And, and we did it. We did it. Before we go to Jeff, I do want to say that uh, we have some new music here between segments this week and over the next few episodes. It was made by Dean Copley, a big fan of the show from Kalamazoo. You can check him out. He's a DJ Copley on Facebook and WebPuppy45 on Twitter. So let's go now to, uh, to my conversation with Jeff Garland. headphones i want to do you want to wear them yeah i'm gonna wear mine yeah i'll wear mine too that way you can modulate your your loud voice yes i can modulate my loud voice uh, look jeff you want to you want to play comfortable you're gonna be comfortable what <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> let's just start with the elephant in the room which is what why were you feeling slighted all right, let's let's take a few steps back. All right, let's take a few steps back. Not to the beginning of our friendship, not to the beginning of our careers, none of that. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to get this out, right? No, I don't give a shit. I don't like your tone. I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I so confuse you because I call you on your shit, yet... I love you. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I have nothing but positivity and love for you. And that, conf- that fucks you up. That confuses you. But what's happening right now? Right really? now, I am calling you on your show. Listen, let me finish. Okay. All right. So, okay. <laughs> so, the basic premise is that, yeah. you know, I wanted to do your show. Mm-hmm. I, I I was the greasy or the, the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. I was For a change, I was the one complaining about shit. Right. That's it, not like me. It threw me. I bet you it did. Yeah, but yeah, but, but I'm I, here. I know. Well, because I, 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 yeah, it yeah, worked. It, it worked. <laughs> it did. Well, so, let me just explain something to you. In my yeah. mind, we had done the live one. I had done yours, and uh, I just really had forgotten. The, the first off, the live one was fun, and I had fun with it. I don't yeah. know how much fun you had with me having fun, but the. The point being is, this is totally different than the live. I one. know, but I would have gotten to you. That was my point. You would have gotten to me. Yeah. What does that mean? What, I'm not. I just. I. I've forgotten to. By the way, by the way, for just so the, the listeners know. Yeah. All I did was ask you a few times why I'm not on the show. And, well, the, it was a little more loaded than that. Well, however you want to phrase it, but the point being is, it's not like we weren't speaking. No, no, we I, were fine. We and were then fine. at one in the morning, I get an email that says, "I get it. You don't want me on the show." Well, yes, I know. And by the way, that was <laughs> that was uh... <laughs> understood. No problem. And then yeah. you, then you continue to have that conversation even after I chimed in. No, no, no. I understand. You don't want me on your show. Yeah, it was clear to me. 
it was so clear to me. It was that clear. I had decided. Yeah. No. And you would have eventually gotten to me. What does that even mean? The show's not going anywhere. You reminded me, and I'm like, oh, I could. It could have just been like, hey, am I going to do the show soon? But no, it was like laced with guilt. No, 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 no. First, it wasn't. Mm. Then it became not guilt. I don't work with guilt. And by the way, me saying I get it was me saying I get it. Yeah, but you, know, we, me but, but you were the, wrong, I think. I was wrong. Yeah. Do you? Uh, by the way, are you curious about me? Do you have things you want to ask me? Yeah, Is yeah. that why I'm not on the show? No, 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 no. I knew that would, there would never be a problem of- Because uh, I'm going to give you every honest answer in the world. Okay, I I expect, nothing, I, expect nothing else. But well, no, but like I, what the, the weird thing is, I can't even remember the first time we met. Can you? I think it was in San Francisco. You were doing some version of uh, someone I want to eat something with, or or the was the that other. one at the Improv when I was doing right, it there? Right. I feel like that's were the first time we Cobbs met. Or something? Or no, I lived in San Francisco then. You lived in San Francisco then. What that year was, was that? Like ninety two, ninety. It was mid. I don't even ninety three. Yeah, 90s. Right? Early, early 90s, yeah. And I feel like that was the first time I met you, and I really had no idea who you were mm -hmm. a, until that time. We wait, a minute, really... wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let's take a step back. Well, we, we met know. in New York before that. You think? In the 80s, yes. I was living there when you were doing uh, when you were doing um, uh, the comedy channel. Was it the comedy Short channel? Short Attention Span Theater? Short Attention Span Theater. Right. I, I was so living that, there. Okay, so that goes so way back. So it would be Caroline's, the comic strip, uh, the cellar. But, but wait, you, wait, you weren't there that long, though, were you? I was there. Yeah, I was there for a while. Because like, I used to do Boston and stuff. Like I don't remember. I never The Boston Comedy Club. Yeah. I used to play Boston Comedy Club all the time. But I remember you playing Boston Comedy Club. Right. We just didn't really talk that much. Right. Then. I think we were we weren't even acquaintances. Right. We were like, hey, how you doing? Right. I don't think we we're anything more than that. And then I think you're right, San Francisco. And then over the years we just became closer right. through sheer right. being around. Right. And also, you know, it's not like a lot of guys our age, and I don't want to say like we're Baron Von Old. Right. But the point being is let's say the comedy store where you and I work out. Yeah. Okay. And that's now. really and that really is now, yes. Yeah. But that really is like our gym. That's like going to lift weights. Sure, sure. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Not a lot of guys our age. A lot of people are a lot younger than us there. Yeah, no, that's true. You that's know? true. Except for Argus. Well, yes, yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but 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 um it's like we're, you know, in this you know, even even who who there even works out in their forties? Bill Bill Burr on occasion, uh, Sarah. You know what I mean? It's like I'm talking about even like the, the last decade. Our yeah, peers, we want, yeah we want but we want to stay fresh, keep that going. We, we do it, but there's not a lot of our peers that do that. Yeah, I know a lot of them are working on the road more. I think a lot of them are working on the road or quit. Then was interesting that what it like what what, what what's it didn't stick in my craw, but like I knew that you were being I knew that you were hired by John Stewart. Maybe I'm wrong mm -hmm. to to help him put together his special. Yes, that's completely true. You were a dramaturge in a way. You were you were helping. You know, like you like in, in my mind at some point. Did you do it with Leary as well? I did it with Dennis Leary first. I developed their specials with them. I went on the road with them. I'd go up first. I come off. I take notes, and so I, I directed their specials, but I didn't direct the cameras. Right, you were like a, a like a, a dramaturg. I was a stage director uh -huh. for, for for their shows. But wait, like, and I also edited with the writing. But you be yeah, right. But you became that a guy that did that. Was that a service you provided? Were you like, or was it just those two guys? It could what? have been a direction that I would just go down. 
but it was those two guys. I mean, yes, people have asked me and I've given notes before, but they were the only two guys that I actually did that with. Now, and then my question is, and I got credit, like like in other words, right, right, right. You know, yeah, right. So, so that, but that's an interesting place, like because you're a guy that comes from a bit of a theater background, at least an improv background, right? And you know, you, sometimes it's good to have a second, you know, second set of without, eyes. Without, like, like if I was working on a set, I would love it to have like you in the audience telling me, "Here's what you thought of the set. Here's what I might want to think about, not think about." You want somebody you can trust. But do you do that? I mean, you don't seem to. You don't like. I would do. I've 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 done it for at this point in my life. Yeah, you would have to say to me, "Can you come watch me?" Right, and tell me. Right, and I would gladly do that. I remember I gave you advice once before. You did, and yeah, uh, when I I think I told you to you know to open with the banana again or something. (laughs) I'm sorry for screwing up your sound. Yeah, it's all right. But that you were that that came from that came from. But you, it was like terrible. Well, it was. It worked it, once. Well, well, here's the premise of it. The premise of it was I was at breakfast with some friends, and there was a banana on the table, mm-hmm. and I just picked it up and said, "Hello, yeah, what do you mean the president's dead? Yeah, you know something stupid. Yeah." And then I said, "I'm going to do this on stage. I'm going to bring a banana up, and I'm going to take the most simple." And the truth was, it actually worked for a while until mm-hmm. I got bored with it. Mm-hmm. You saw it when I was bored with it, and you said, "Yeah, open with that. Be sure and do that," <laughs> which killed me, and I, I dropped it. But it was to me, it was like so stupid. Yeah. To an- dur- we- during my set to answer a banana. Yeah. We have yeah. a you have a, a pretty uh, absurd streak and an improvisational nature, but let me ask you this before: okay. like I'm going to set up a few things and we'll go back. Okay. But like the 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 relationship with Larry on Curb, like yeah. is, is it my misconception that what was it? Did it start as a similar relationship as you and John and you and Dennis? At, very very that HBO much. HBO so. was like you know Jeff's very good at helping with the putting together of the special. It well actually what it what it was that, that it actually. Uh, HBO had approached Larry mm-hmm. and said, we want to do something with you. A let's... special kind of thing. No, no, no. They wanted to do a series with him. Okay. And they said, let's start by doing some sort of special or right, something. Right, you know? Um But no, no. Actually, I take that back. They never said special to him. They said, we want to do a series with you. They, yeah. they, Chris Albrecht made it known to Larry. Boom. Okay. Larry and I, I was writing with Alan Zweibel this show that uh, ironically it was a companion piece for everybody loves raymond instead of choosing mine they chose king of queens really yeah huh we know i never even got to it was just but but the which is good because it led to curb right well, that was sort of bouncing around for a while because uh johnny red wilson did one too uh, that had a man cave jackie gleason kind of feel oh he, he did it didn't get it didn't go either well mine mine was not mine was uh uh different it was uh it was not like King. Oh. They just wanted a companion show, right? Right. And it was the same year that they were developing King of mm-hmm. Queens. So Larry's office is right next to Alan's White Bells. When I say office, it's like a little suite of offices with Billy Crystal. Where's this? And, at Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would go into Larry's office every day and talk to him. I knew him from yeah. being a comic, yeah. you know. And um, one day we went to lunch, and I said, "If you ever want to do a comedy special, I have the perfect idea," you know. It would be the behind the scenes of of the making of a comedy special, right? And you'd never have to shoot the special. You could back out, right? And then that would be the special. And it came from my experiences with John Stewart and Dennis Leary, right? Doing their thing, right? And he said, "I love it." And then we went to Chris Albeck and told him the idea, and he said, 
His exact words were, how can I not do this? <laughs> yeah. How often do you ever hear those? Right. And so we went and did that. And he said to me, the first day of filming, wouldn't this be great as a series? Yeah. And in my head, I thought, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be, of course, it'd be great as right. a series. Because it, it was as if Larry and I had worked together for 40 years. Right. It was just natural from the very, well, it was natural from the audition process when we were auditioning people. Um, you know, we felt like, wow, this is really weird that we have this connection. And then he said that to me, and then we did it, and lo and behold, uh, HBO said we'd like to do this as a series. And that's how it started. That's how it started. It's interesting, because so I wasn't so off. No, you weren't off. Because I was thinking, when you said to me, was there anybody else besides Dennis Leary and John Stewart, I'm thinking there was somebody else, and the somebody else was Larry. Right. Yeah, that's who the other person was. So now, like, I the, here's the here's why... I think we didn't know each other when we were younger, really, mm. was that like I didn't see you as a like a comic in my little world. Mm -hmm. Like I was hanging around with like Attell and Louie and, and Jeff Ross, Todd Barry. And all, but you were I, 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 When you were doing that, yeah. I was hanging out with Jon Stewart, uh, Dennis Leary, like a different group. A little the older, only, the a little only, more established. Yeah, a little more older, a little more established. The only person of your group that I was actually friends with was Louie. Yeah. I've been friends with Louie forever. Right. And um, as a matter of fact, Louie and I just talked about you the other day. Yeah. How smart you are. Oh. Um, but um, when I was, I, I only, Bill Grunfest, I'll say his name. I don't give a shit. Doesn't matter. Never would put, he was scared to put me up. He wouldn't put me up either. What was his reasoning? At the Comedy Star, Bill Grunfest was the original booker. Now, he was, what, his, his, his reason was, just like the same reason for you, taking risks doing things differently yeah he liked when you know but you know what he did which was strange he gave me thursday nights to mc yeah so i would mc thursday nights and a towel would come in people would come in late at night and i'd put them on when they weren't normally getting spots down there right so but when did you you started in where'd you grow up i grew up in chicago and south florida what's that it was chicago what part of chicago jewish part <laughs> there were jews amongst me at all but not points. highland park not highland park no I, I, I grew up in a suburb that had a significant amount of Jewish people in it, though, called Morton Grove. But what was your thing? Like, when you were a kid, were you a jock? No, I was. Well, I was one of these weird sort of, I played every sport, and I was the class clown. But you were, you were on the teams. I was on the teams, and I was actually... Because you're a big boy. Yeah, no, I, I was a good athlete. Yeah, I could feel that. Um, yeah, I played football, I played baseball, I played everything. You played football in high school? Yes. What what position? I was a guard and a tackle and a defensive tackle. Big guy. Big guy. I was big about guy the same position. size I am now. I was like 6'1", 230 or so. You baseball? Know. Baseball. You played baseball? Power hitting first baseman. First baseman? Yeah. Got to be quick. Yeah, I was actually quick. Better fielder than I was a hitter. Yeah? Yeah, but I was a good hitter. No track. What do you mean no track? You didn't run track. I, I did shot put and discus. That makes sense. See, I did all of it. And, yeah. and by the way, I was the fastest lineman. Like I yeah. ran faster than some of our running backs. But here's the problem. Yeah. The problem was I had a heart ailment. Did you still? Uh, called, no, it was corrected. It was called Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. Wow. It's a thing where you get like an extra pathway in your heart. You get like tachycardia. So I had to quit playing all sports. How'd they well, fix it? Uh, they, it was like a, I was the 72nd person ever to have this done. Hmm. Now millions have had it done, 
Since then, Michael Sarah had the same thing. Oh, really? And before he had it fixed. And before me, on the, I was number seventy-two. Number like fourteen was Mitch Hurwitz, who created Arrested Development. Huh. So I never knew weird. that there were actual credits for a medical. <laughs> <laughs> I was so early when they fixed me. It said on the machine, yeah. not for human use. Oh, really? It was like a dog thing. I, mean, I like to the, say for you a cat thing. The, but the names like, of the people previous. Yeah, they were all etched. Mitch Hurwitz is here. That's um, but and what I, do they I do? didn't know them. But they what they do is they burn the extra pathway with high frequency waves mm-hmm. that stops the tachycardia. So anyone who has any sort of tachycardia, this is how they fix it now. Like when I was having my procedure done, yeah. which I had to go to Oklahoma City to have it done. That's where they do all the big heart stuff. Well, they did then, the inventor and all that, Oklahoma City. Of this particular. Of this thing. And, and Oklahoma State University. No, uh-huh. Oklahoma, one of the Oklahoma universities. Did you enjoy Oklahoma? Oklahoma's fine. I wish the thunder. Oklahoma's well. okay. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. It is, you know. Um, so I had it fixed, and yeah. uh, but what it does is, at a young age, you have a vulnerability that your peers don't have. Yeah. Like I thought I was going to die a million times just because like your heart would race out of nowhere. Race out of nowhere, and then ultimately, I didn't get it fixed until I was in. My late 20s, I was in Second City, and it ha- I had tachycardia on stage, thought I was going to die, told them to cover for me, went in the back stairwell. I thought I was dead, and then I went and uh, had it fixed. Surprised me you didn't use it. Use it up there. Stay on, on stage. stage. Stay on stage. By the way, I have stayed on stage it's- with tachycardia. Oh, yeah. I remember doing stand-up early on. They, I had to, I, Originally, before they knew what it was, I had um, Inderol, which is like a slows your heart down. Yeah. You know, because of the anxiety of when yeah. I went on stage, I had great anxiety when I first started. Yeah. Now it's, you know. Now it's the opposite, it seems. <laughs> it, it, it seems. I. By the way, I would go on record as saying that I might be the most real, relaxed comedian on stage in the business. To a fault, I might add. To a fault. I will not argue with you. To a fault. I could nap on stage if I had to. I'm surprised you haven't tried that yet. Yeah. Because some people say, you know, because I... People who don't know me who are mm-hmm. still listening, um, I improvise a lot on stage. I, I, I sometimes have material, but I improvise a lot on stage, and it should make me a little more tense and excited before I go up. Instead, it, it's very relaxing. I imagine, and I'm just thinking this now, looking you right in the eye, mm-hmm. that I would be maybe tense if I had a set set from point A to point E. Yeah. You know, I you know I think I've I've sort of gently nudged you towards perhaps writing a joke. You have and- no no you you you. <laughs> in all sincerity, you've been supportive over you know maybe you want yeah, maybe try you this get off stage and I'm yeah. like hey maybe write something <laughs> <laughs> more than that but you know yes you're right yes you have but okay so you're 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 jock but you're funny jock you're in high school you're yes. big guy I was friends with the nerds. And the yeah, I did that. Uh, you yeah. go both places because yeah, you're places. smart enough yeah. to do that. Yeah, uh, you weren't a bully. No, God, no. You're a little loud, but not a bully. A little loud, but not a bully. There that'd you be go. For sure, for that sure. can be misunderstood. I, sometimes. You know, I'm a big ball of gregarious. Yeah, it's right. Just a charismatic, large machine of you, Jew. You, you... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you big bowl of Jew loud. Jew loud, yeah. Right. But uh, but like, what what kind of do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. What's he up to? Did he ever get to talk? Uh, he has his share of resentment. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Towards we, you. We, yeah, towards, towards you. Me, towards me, most definitely. We love each other. We're we're close. Yeah. Um, but uh, he has his share of resentment of being in my shadow. What does and he do? He um, 
uh, is the director of a temple. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, outside of Chicago in Northbrook, I believe it is. My God. So he has resentment and he's a spiritual man, I'm assuming. He uh, always trying to get me to go to Israel and all sorts of stuff like that. That's not going to happen. What's his resentment based Just, in? Uh, based, it's based in growing up in my shadow. And, you know, his name when he was little was Little Garland. Oh, right. I mean, that alone can right. shove you down a and path. You, and you can't process that? It's still there? <laughs> Well, no, there's other things, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, by the way, every, t where he goes, people hear his voice and they go, you sound just like that guy, you know, it's, it's. Oh, he, people are familiar, they, yeah, and it's also, close enough. And not only that, but running in the Jewish community, yeah. um, the Goldbergs and Curb Your Enthusiasm are two very big Jewish shows. Yeah. So. So you know. now he's got to deal with that. Yeah. And the irony is. You're a bona fide Jew star. Yeah. But, but, but the irony is I'm not very, I'm proud to be jewish and all that but i'm not very religious i don't like organized religion no i understand and he works in organized religion right but it's jews yes it's jews but it's still to me it's all organized religion yeah okay no of course it is i understand that it is yeah yeah but like and it, i'm spiritual i do my transcend i do transcendental 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 meditation twice a day i'm a i'm a, a person who thinks that there is a god probably yeah but i'm i mean to me uh, by the way you don't believe in god right or you do i i just uh i just stay out of it by the way yeah big bowl of agree with you yeah just stay out of it yeah if if he, if, if there is a he or a she or whatever god being it is yeah. hi how are you yeah well, guy, I, not, I, I hope i'm doing the right thing you know what i mean yeah I, I, you know i try to behave as best i can and i uh you know it's like I, I don't need a God to judge me. I'm on top of that. <laughs> I am so with you. You know, we're, I got almost, that covered. we're almost two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You, you would know? be the, the louder side. All right. Enough with the loud. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> enough with the loud. Your laugh is pretty, you know. No, because I, I have my share of self-loathing. You do? Uh, oh, most definitely. And codependency and all sorts of crap. Really? But the thing is, I don't take others down. I've taken a few down. Yes, you have. What are you talking about like that? Oh, shut up. You, who, who you, I will wrestle you. Who, who you, you got? You have taken, you, you have let it be known. You're, here's the thing. Okay. If I'm insecure about a situation mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm um, just not comfortable with yeah. something, I, you, if you don't know me intimately, mm -hmm. you, won't hear are, about it. you won't know about it. Yeah. If you, you don't know me intimately, that's who will know about it. That's who will know about it. Yeah. Where And also, when I'm on stage, I'm more than happy to be vulnerable and expose myself. Mm -hmm. But when I'm off stage, you don't, you know, unless you're close to me, you don't have a chance in hell of knowing me. Well, yeah, I, can, I could feel that. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I, I know you completely well. But you could. Right. You're, you're in my, I mean, I don't want to make like I've got the circle, but you in, are in my circle of intimates and friends, and I'd feel very comfortable talking to you about anything. Well, how do I, how do I get to know you? I just call up and oh, I Oh, stop it now. Don't make me wrestle you. What are you doing? How do I get to know you? No, no, I'm serious, because like, I'm not queer. Like, I know a lot of people, but I don't have that many friends. I don't hang out with many people. Well, just so, call me and say, do you want to have coffee? Yeah. Why the? Why not? Okay, all right. But but here's the thing: as much as you're saying, oh yeah, okay. Do you know how many times you've said that to me before? No. I'll go at least twice. You've said, you've said to me on the flip side, hey, why don't we ever have coffee? And you've said that to me too. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. I mean, it's not it's not personal. No, no, hold on a second. 
Yes, it's not personal. But I'm saying I would have coffee with you anyway. All right, okay. Well, can we keep this tone when we're having it? By the way, the odds are likely because we have sort of a realistic uh, Jack F- Benny Fred Allen type relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and they were close friends. Yeah, you know, it's we like, want to do this on stage. Yeah, but, but you know what well, we have done it on stage yeah. when you did my show. Yeah, it was, oh, was very apparent. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here, here's, really my, here's my tagline in our comedy team. Reel it in, Jeff. <laughs> Reel it in. But the fact is, we do have a, a very honest relationship. I, I think we do. And I'm very comfortable with you at all times. I'm not, I don't want to say what it is unless you want it, but recently I told you that something was beneath you that you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, and so... Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, so I'm saying... Uh, and I felt comfortable saying that to you, and I wasn't. And I feel to... comfortable saying what it is that, yeah. like, I don't need to throw people under the bus out of my own petty resentment. Yes, exactly. Publicly, yes, because no. it doesn't make me look good. It does not. Like I should not say Jerry Seinfeld doesn't know who I am. Right. And and be bitchy it does, it about. Like... It. Yes, exactly. You shouldn't. It's yeah. way beneath you. He doesn't. Though. I don't think he has any. All right, stop it. He. I'm sure he does, but he's not gonna. He's he's not actively thinking that Mark Marin. I'm not gonna have to. Yeah, yeah. he's never. No, it's but, passive. Yeah, you know, if brought up. <laughs> no, but you do. You but the thing is, you do bring it up. Only when, a few people. Yeah, a few people. Was it Rolling Stone, The New Yorker? Where did I read it? Oh, right. That was yeah. yeah, yeah. That's In my Rolling point. Stone. But that's it. No, no, don't do that. Yeah, don't do it. It's beneath you. Okay. Because you're 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 to me. I was about to say a man of letters, but you're an acerbic, brilliant guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and um. Why be petty? Why be petty? And also, I watch you. I, I so enjoy your comedy. Yeah, you, you do. Make, you make that. me laugh. Yeah. And laugh hard, yeah. really hard, yeah. you know? Yeah, So I just, it's beneath you, man. Okay, And All by right, the man. way, what? by the way, would I want to do your podcast if it wasn't something that was excellent and a good, I don't like wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And this is not a waste of my time. I dig this. This is awesome. So your brother's the Jewish director of a temple. Yes. You guys hang out sometimes. Yes, yes. When, when I mentioned your Chicago. parents still alive, my dad. I remember, I said on your show, I improvised it, but it was true because he had just died. You, some, we were talking about something with what oh, we yeah, did. Oh yeah, that's right. Movie, He's dead. I said my dad's dead, which you used in the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's he had just died, and my mom uh, is um, still alive, but has brain cancer. Ugh. She's had it. But by the way, she was only supposed to, you know, like generally a year for this uh, type of brain cancer, yeah. this terminal thing. She's been going three years. She's still cooking. She's still driving. She's, yeah. She's going. And she's like all there? All there. That's amazing. Yeah. So what, what when you grew up, what was your father's task? What was his work? Oh, my dad, uh, first he used to work in the plumbing supply business. Selling- My t- family my family owned a plumbing supply business in Chicago. Oh, your grandfather? My grandfather did. Did yeah. you know him? Yes. I, I knew both my grandfathers, but it was my dad's father who had the plumbing supply, and I was very close with him. He died at 99. It's like a hardware store-ish. No, no, no. Plumbing supply as an actual, like, the parts. It was like a Pipes, factory. Things. They made them. Oh, really? Yeah. And what, was your grandfather like a character? Yeah, he was a character. My grandfather was eternally positive. Like, he ignored anything that was negative. You're kind of like that. No, I'm not. Negative try stuff. Try, spy, why is, by the way, externally, very positive, very supportive. Now, I w- I'm weird as a comic because I comics that I like, mm. boy, I cheer on yeah. and I root for, yeah. you know. Um, no, he was just like, uh, if it's negative, it's no good. And, and to me, negative things can affect me and make me down and depress me. Yeah. 
but I won't take others down with me. Yeah. You don't, you won't take the lifeguard down with you. No, I will not. Yeah. I'll go on my own, and he'll swim back and go. I tried to get the fat. Right, but he seemed insistent. He seemed insistent on drowning. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So he and and my grandmother, on the other hand, who I was also very close with, was eternally negative. <laughs> His wife. Yeah, she hated everybody and everything, <laughs> and the, one of the only things in the world she loved was me. And and hopefully her husband. Yeah, she did. Yes, she did. But nonetheless, she was. I, I can't tell you how negative. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Where did like, it come from? Like what? Like where did it come from? Oh, I don't know where it came from. It just was, it just was, it, I it, don't it, like her. She'd be at functions with other relatives, yeah. standing in the corner, talking about the relatives that were 10 feet away, and they could all hear her. And your mother's folks? She was the least popular of everyone in the family. What? I can't understand yeah. why. Yeah, but I loved her. She was great. He had yeah. personality, had yeah. a point of view. And my, my mother's parents- were uh, very nice. My my grandfather was funny, and my grandmother uh, uh, was a very sweet, sweet lady. You know, they were just. And you, you know, grew up like you grew up in suburban like, Chicago. Suburban Chicago I was born in Jews. The city. Yeah, suburban Chicago Jews. So you had you know the food, the cookies, all the that, stuff and stuff. The, the it's lady, familiar to me. It's all it's all from yes. It was it was unequivocally classic. We'll go to South Florida for vacation. So the, know, this Florida. TV show, The Goldbergs, is no stretch. Not by any stretch. No, there's no stretch there whatsoever. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, I've and lived by, here. And by the way, on the show, I take off my pants. You know, they say, you're going to have a problem with that? I go, that's what I do when I go home now. Yeah. My dad did it too. The difference is my dad wore tidy whities I wear boxer boxers, briefs. And now I hope on the show and tidy whities under the boxer briefs. No, but by the way, they're really uncomfortable, the tidy whities that I have to wear because it's like too late. They can't see any movement on the show. Right, that's what I mean. So the you wear them under the boxers. No, no, no. I, I just wear the tidy whities but they're layered. Oh. But I don't wear them under the pants. I only wear them in the scene. I don't right, wear them every day when I come in. No, when you're doing no pants scenes. If I do no pants scenes, I wear these special things. There's like a foam padding. Sure. It's like a whole rigmarole so I don't- Jiggle. So I don't jiggle, so there's no wiener action yeah. for the young people. Yeah, they don't want the, they don't see any movement. None. Whatever's in there there's is, a, is there's stationary, an old, there's docile. An old, there's an older woman who does the, you know, comes in yeah. to check, and she'll say sometimes, I see shadows. <laughs> Now, the only way you could see a shadow is if someone put a flashlight behind my balls right. and I was wearing something sheer. Yeah. It's in her imagination. She's seeing my, my shadows. It's, it's trauma-induced, probably. I don't know what her story is. Yeah, she ask her about her grandparents. Ask, yeah, yeah. ask her about where the shadows started. Where the shadows started? <laughs> where, 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 where did it start? <laughs> where were the shadows yeah, first seen? Yeah. All right, so what, what, what compelled you towards comedy? When did that happen? Um always the funniest from nursery school on no exaggeration i was the class clown and do you need a lot of attention you do right did mm. did um i feel so much more secure when i than when i did when i was younger when i younger like, was, how recent like in the last decade yeah very much so because because things start to work out yeah we're just getting i i strive to be spiritual i strive to be uh calm but yeah, but don't but, you? But TM has helped me with that. But don't you think um, just just finding a, a, like real success, like and all of a sudden you know having no, a, no, 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 because real success to me makes you you can go one of two ways. You can go down the path of finding some enlightenment and growing as a person, or you can become more of the bad side. Ego can ruin and rule you. No, I get that. But what I'm saying is that like for years, look, I mean, we'll get we'll get back to the history in a minute. For years. 
you were sort of pounding your head against the wall. You did. You did, weren't a straight stand up in the way that you you didn't want to do sets. Right. You know. You sort of avoided something, whether it was you know by by design or by insecurity. I don't know. I don't know either. So so like you know you saw a lot of us who are your contemporaries doing specials, doing this, doing right. that. Yes. And then you know your first real success comes from you know helping another comic. Yes. Create something, and yeah. I'd seen some of the one person. I saw the one one person show, ninety three or whatever. That I think became the first movie. Right, I want someone to eat cheese with. Right, which yeah. made no sense to me. The title. It was based on Susanna Melvoin. Yeah. Um. Who? Uh, she. Anyhow, she and I were having lunch in New York, and she said to me, "We were talking about what we wanted in a relationship." She said, "I want someone to eat cheese with," and I said, "That's what I want. That's so simple." And so I just hung on to the title for a one-man show. Right. And then. Right when I did the movie, yeah, I, 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 I don't like, I don't love cheese, so I, I, I don't either. But that's, oh. I don't even like. And I talk in the movie about not liking. You think I'd be a guy who likes fudge? Because I ask the next question, I ask, I don't yeah, like fudge. fudge but fudge doesn't really happen in the real world. It's something you go to a place, a tourist. Well, there's place. fudge places all over the Midwest where I'm from. Lots of fudge. Yeah, yeah. It was a thing. People had fudge in the house. Right down three, a few doors down from Zanies, a half a block from Second City, the fudge pot. But my point is, is that where my like, picture hangs. <laughs> One of the few places on earth where my picture hangs. It's me at like twenty six. And yeah. signed to the fudge place. The sounds of the fudge pot. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But you don't love. I fudge. love the idea that the only actually, to be honest, the only place my picture hangs is the fudge pot. Okay. Like I. I since then, any dry cleaner or whatever that's yeah, asked yeah. me, no, no, nope, nope. no, just the one fudge picture, pot. one picture Only of the, the fudge, fudge pot. pot. Yep. But well, I guess my point is, is that I, it seems to me that you may not have been sure how you were going to make your break, right? Uh, but you know, traditional stand-up was not really your bag. Well, it was my bag and my passion. I just wasn't a traditional stand-up. Right. That's a better way to say it because I never stopped working, never stopped doing sets, but they were sets by my definition. But when you were offered an opportunity to do a, 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 a structured set, did you say, I can't, I can't? No, I put it together. I did Letterman. Mm -hmm. um, I did an HBO half hour. Right. So I did. Right. Uh, but you didn't worked. feel that it really showcased it, you? No, it, it did. And like the Letterman thing, I had a, like a, I could not have had a better set on Letterman. Yeah. I really destroyed. Um, my half hour, pretty good. Yeah. Um, but the point being is I was much better as a guy who improvised really focusing on six minutes than I was in and a And also it turns longer. out you're better at, at being in the present with somebody else. Always. Yeah, and that and that really became you know what you know catapulted you, right? Both you know as a person who works behind the scenes and as a person on camera, right? Yes. So I guess my point is is that I have to imagine that once you found your groove as a performer and found some you know some place to really have fun and work and do what you're great at, you must have felt better about yourself. One had nothing to do with the other. Come on. No, one had nothing to do with the other. I felt that to me, none of your self-esteem hinged on, on none. I, I mean, actually, so what? The yeah, fuck? hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, when I was younger, what propelled me into stand-up was being liked and meeting girls. The fact that my tool was being funny—that's what I was really great at. Yeah, that's what I used to meet girls and to get be accepted. Yeah, but at a certain point, what is that? You can't. I can't be defined by. So the point is, that's how I became so fearless. I go on stage 
doesn't matter what happens, my personal self-worth in no way hinges. I mean, I could do Letterman tonight. I'd feel bad if I did Letterman and ate it. But the point being is I really... It's they're two separate things. Well, so I, well, that's interesting because I, I find that's what's baffling is sometimes, and you know, this is not a dig, but sometimes when you get off stage, and I know when you do well, and I know when you don't do well, right, right, but right. But you don't act differently either way. And I it, don't, and, and, and I like, don't and I, at all. And I'll come up to you and I'll start poking around, like, "What's going on? Did that?" And you don't, you don't register any feeling of like, you know, oh, God, that was fucking terrible. It's like it didn't even happen. And, and then I'm like, that there's something wrong with that guy. Maybe, and then I, <laughs> but I drive home, and I, you know, when Don't I you so, drive home and cry. No, but oh. I was saying, but I would drive home and think about maybe my conversation. Here's the odds: the odds are I'm going to drive home and think about what we talked about, and have already forgotten my set. I've gotten better at that, but like I like sometimes though when I can't get over on them, or when when there's like uh, some sort of fundamental resistance, and I know some of it has to do with me. Oh, and you, that's something. I By mean, like, you've seen me do that. Yes, oh, yes, I have. And you brought it to my attention. Like, <laughs> I think you were a little overly angry at that situation, but but then I feel bad. Well, I, I, I but I'm saying that's the difference. That's what I'm saying. We're two sides of a very of a similar coin. All right. Well, then, if if this is the case, so I, I, my side of the coin, it's all personal stuff, and your side of the coin is it well, it's all you, personal but I, yeah, I take yeah, it out yeah 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 because i make my personal public it, it, yeah. it, there's no boundaries yeah. there but then then what was the fu- the fundamental issue you were having that you know that all of a sudden you feel better because you're meditating and everything else what was brewing inside of you what was why were you what what was it that was happening that made you go like i gotta fix this well i gotta tell you it didn't really get fixed really really get fixed until a year ago well, what is it? I got arrested. Was that the road rage thing? <laughs> yes, that was the quote road rage thing. Um, it wasn't really road rage. I, I don't know what it was. I don't well, know. what it was was without going into immense detail. Why not? Well, because legal reasons. Uh, no, I don't want to bore people. You're not going to bore Although people. You gonna got be, arrested. I was going to be. I've done it in my stand-up since then. No, here's the thing. I was on this path, this path of striving for enlightenment, striving to be the best person. When did that start, though? Maybe sometime in my early 40s. All right, so... It took... By the way, it's still happening. I know, but what I'm saying is, like, you did did the movie in your early 40s, so you're already working. So, like, you know, what... what, And I had a stroke at that point. What? I had a stroke at 37. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I had a stroke at 37. What happened? I woke up one morning, the room was spinning, and I had had back surgery the month before. I was on a cocktail of a bunch of drugs. Where were you living? Here in West West Hollywood, on Sweetser. Married and everything? Married and everything. Married, pregnant. My wife was pregnant with our second child. I, um... Are you working? I'm working. As a matter of fact, I'd already shot the hour... Larry David special. Okay. Uh, if anyone wants to go back and watch the first season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, especially the very first episode, you will notice that I'm strokey von strokey. I can barely talk. I got better because I had to perform the first season. Was this of Curb before Your or after you? Oh, this, this is before. You and I pitched that ridiculous show to NBC 
before you st- started Curb. Yeah, but that was before I had a stroke and everything. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. We should talk about that later. All right, yeah, but, okay. but you, so you wake up, the room's spinning. The room is the room spinning. I'm, I, I, you know, my wife had told me that after the surgery, my eye was kind of droopy. I'm on all sorts of meds. Yeah. I didn't know it, but I had developed type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Um, is that, so you have that. I do have that, yeah, but I try controlling it with diet and yeah. exercise. Um, which I've been pretty good. I've kept the weight. Is off that genetic? Type two. Yeah, I don't know. Why I gen- guess if it's genetic, if you're, I mean, I have diabetes in my family. How do you type get one diabetes? Is the other people? Well, I don't know how you get type one. Type two comes when you, when you have uh, metabolic syndrome. When you, when you have a lot of weight, you have a high cholesterol. You yeah. Have, How's uh, your cholesterol now? Good. Uh-huh. It's been great. Are you on the? I'm not on anything. So you have the stroke. Room spinning. Room spinning. I go to the hospital to tell me I have a stroke. I, I'm slurring my words. Oh. I'm thinking I'm never going to be a comedian again. How's, can you remember shit or what? I remember everything 100%. So you're just slurring your words. So you're slurring like, I my can't words. I can, I'm having trouble walking. Really? I have to have help walking. Uh, and during the course of... I never, I never thought I'd work again. But no, but what'd you do? You went to the hospital? Yeah, I went to the emergency room. And they said you had a stroke and they... Put me on uh, blood thinners, Coumadin. Yeah. And I was in the hospital for a couple weeks, I believe. Really? Yeah. And I really was sitting in the hospital going, What do I do now? Yeah, what do I do now? And and I'm about to have another kid. And Oh, my God. No, it was. But the thing is, through my life, I had the heart problem. I've had these vulnerable things. Yeah. So I'm. that's why... I look at life maybe a little bit different and a little more positive, you know? Yeah, but but also it's interesting because you are such a sort of um, bombastic sort of momentum guy. Right. That like sort of like everything's happening and like boom, out of yeah. nowhere, yes. this thing and they have no I, control over. But that's what I got from my mom. My mom was a ne- has always been a... Uh, when I was a kid, she would say to me, she'd go return something. It was always so embarrassing. Yeah. She'd say a clerk is a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like I go, and I never understood. It's like, why is that person a jerk? They're helping yeah. you. But she was the point she was making is get the manager, get what you need done. Very much like the woman who plays my wife on the Goldbergs, right? Like, you know, who plays your wife on the Goldbergs? Wendy McClendon Covey. I call okay. her Wendy McClendon, Willie McCovey. All right, so you have this thing, and you go to the emergency room. You had a stroke, yeah. and you're in the hospital for two weeks. You're fearing for the future of your life and career. Yes. But just like I didn't let it, I didn't let anything stop me. I, I wouldn't walk with a cane. I walk with a golf club. How long did it take? It took about six months to fully rehab. To fully rehab, I went through regular rehab. I went through uh, with my you know talking rehab. Huh. I had to start filming Curb Your Enthusiasm a month later. I. You know, I got to give credit or credits to Jamie Masada, man. That guy gave me tons of spots, and I had trouble because I had had a stroke, but it just kept on giving me the spots. Did that make you feel weird when you got off stage? Like, were you feeling like? Well, it was no, it was frustrating because I, when you can't, all right. There's no, I I think there's no worse feeling when an audience is primed to see you and happy to see you, and you suck. Right. Now, I can deal with, I'm on fire, I'm feeling good, and they're not grooving to right. it. That's fine. That's their problem. Right. Okay? But if you but, know but, you're- But if I know they're great, and they're they're ready, yeah. and I blow, so it was night after night of, this is a good crowd, and I can't 
do but what I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. And I didn't get too down on myself, but it was depressing. But I kept on fighting and fighting and fighting. So when you have that attitude, what can stop me? Right. But that but you say that was the beginning of a more spiritual search. And yes, you're, you're it talking is. about just will yeah. and, and a sort spiritual of an attitude. Spiritual search, but jumping now to the to the so i thought that i was on that path until i got arrested that's when being arrested was at 40 at, when at, at 50 just turned 52 it was like a week after my 52nd birthday this is less than a year ago yeah yeah so after the stroke you you rebuilt was it last summer or was it my 51st birthday no it was my 51st All right, so birthday. you rebuilt and you realize yeah. that you're fragile yeah. and that you know you're pushing through but that's not necessarily spiritual just saying like i'm gonna it get. helps it, but i'm saying it helps and you think differently and also i'm a father you know there's there's you think outside of yourself Right. So, okay. So you're saying that, like, you know, I, I had this, like, I had this scare. I right. fought through it. I recovered. I'm grateful. I have my family, exactly. and my wife. You know, like, I should be grateful every day. Right. And would you not spending time with me and see me think that I'm a grateful guy? Y- yeah. Yeah. Well, you. Uh, you wouldn't think I'm an arrogant, uh, like, jerk, like, self-involved jerk. And n- that, no. that's my point. No. That's my point. And for comics, that's. A different way of going. Well, I, about I think things. that, like, I always found you to be a confident guy. Very confident. Like, I don't know, like, if if I'm, I, I necessarily like. There's no reason you shouldn't be grateful. I mean, people right. look at your career, right, right, right. right. You know, if anything, a bitter comic's going to go like that. Lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the- possible. You know, I'm sure it's likely. You know, um, it's possible. But, but I don't think that way. Right. You know? Of course. Not. I don't. I, I there's there's comics even now that I don't particularly get. Yeah. But. I'm happy for him, and I understand. It's rare that a comic comes along and it becomes successful where I'm thoroughly confused. To, well, to but me. not confused. But I know also you have a, a respect for you know dues paid and and things that are uh, that are earned uh, versus well, things. But but that, but but I don't hold that against the ones that don't do pay their dues. Whatever, it's only going to hurt them because they won't have the the. the uh, the bay, the, the the they won't have anything to fall back on. But you know, of- I know for a fact, and I know for myself that you know, if you grow up a unique type of comic, then you're always up against the comics that have success because they're not unique necessarily. Right. Well, of course, and you got to live with that. Well, I'm a guy who loves Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and all that sort of stuff. So that's what they went through. Right. You know, lots of artists go through that, you know. Yeah. And I always jumped on the jazz thing because it was easy to grab hold, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So. Um, so you get arrested. I'll get arrested. So here, you know, here's a, in a nutshell what happened. Yeah. Crowded parking lot Saturday afternoon. A Where? One, a corner of the, the CVS parking lot, the corner of Ventura and Laurel Canyon. And it's very narrow and it's one way, like each lane. And suddenly, a big S Mercedes S five hundred starts going the wrong way, right in front of me. And I'm like, "What?" I say out loud, "What are you doing?" My windows are closed. She can't. It's a hot day. The air conditioning going, you know. And there's lines of people behind me. She points. She wants the space that I'm waiting for. Now I have a natural, and the spaces are on an angle. So the only way that she could get in the space would be back up. Not me. Twenty of us to back up, and it would take her. Without exaggeration, about five minutes to do the three-point turn. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And uh, I like to joke and say a half hour, but really five minutes, which is a long time. In parking for, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. 
So when I said it's not going to work, you know, I'm mouthing this to her. So when the space opens up, the person cannot back out and go because of her. So it pulls forward. There's, you know, it can pull forward. So I pull in. Right before I pull in, she starts blowing up her cheeks with her hands around, like, like, like in other words, making fun of me for being fat. Go park, fatty. Really? Pretty, oh, most definitely. It was completely clear. Now, obviously that triggered something deep inside of me, you know, being made fun of for being fat. I mean, that I'm like, who are you? Why would, We're adults. Why would you do that, you know? And um, I kept on thinking, why would she do that? That's crazy. I mean, over and over, total righteous indignation, okay? Like, not only was she in the wrong of way, yeah. but now she was making fun of you in a personal way. Yes. Yeah. So when I got out of my car, she's still there. All the cars are parking at her. I go up to her window and punch with the side of my arm. And I'm glad I told the stroke thing ahead of time. I lost a lot of strength in my right arm. I still lift weights and stuff, but I, when I had my stroke, my right arm is what suffered. So I hit her window to say, at the same time, going, "Why would? What, what's wrong with you? Her window cracked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I stepped back because I couldn't. Like it was a slow crack too. And I step back, and she gets out of the car, and I say, "I'm so sorry. I did not intend for that to happen." You must have hit it pretty hard. Oh, I'm sure I did. Yeah. Harder than I thought. Righteous indignation. Yeah. Harder than I even knew. Rage. Yes, I would say rage, but not because I wanted to do that. Break her window. Right. I no, wanted to get her attention. You could have used a, an implement. Yeah, or something. And yeah, no. I never would want to do that. I could. By the way, I didn't know I had the strength to do that. Now you know. Now I guess I do. <laughs> and so she got out, and yeah. I said, "I'm so sorry," but I did like a Larry David thing. I said to her. But why would you make fun of me for being fat? Yeah. And she says, because you are fat and you have a small penis. And she begins to do a dance, puffing up her cheeks the way she was. Did she do a small dick dance, too? She did a small dick dance, too. Now, I backed up even more. I was freaked out. And so. To control yourself. No. I was completely calm. I was scared. Because she was acting nutty. She was acting nutty. Yeah. And. Law. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to this and whatever. Nothing more of what we, what, what, what she, what I did, because at this point I'm done doing what I've done. Got a broken window. Did it shatter? It no, it didn't shatter. It just cracked right okay, down okay. the middle. So I'm staying away from her. I am being calm. I'm giving my information to her friend, saying I'll pay for it. All she's doing is call the police. And I say to her calmly, I am not coming after you. I've given my driver's license. Her friend took a picture of my driver's license with her phone. You know, we're at that stage. You know. Yeah. Well, the cops come, and I'm very calm. I tell them what happened. They tell me they have to arrest me because it's a Mercedes S500, and it's felony vandalism. If it was a Toyota Corolla... They wouldn't have to arrest me because they have to arrest me because of the value. Not because of the action. Not because of the action. It's felony vandalism. Vandalism, mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything violent to be, to vandalize something. Right. There was no. There was nothing like attempted anything. Right. Van, vandalism. Uh-huh. I go to jail. In jail, none of the cops know who I am. Every prisoner does. Uh-huh. And they're all excited and freaked out that I'm, what are you doing here, man? And they're in there for some serious shit. This is just uh, the L.A. County, right? This is uh, the, the one in Van, Van Nuys. Oh, all right. Okay. So I get out 
I was in there for like 12 hours. Uh-huh. And I get out. Did you have sex with anybody inside? Two or three young people. Okay. Not too young, of age. Right. I checked. Yeah. Okay. Because I know you, you kind of have to do that. Why did I say that flippant? It wasn't even funny. That's all oh, right. It wasn't. Okay. I didn't you have were, sex with anybody. You're improvising. Yeah, but that was just. Uh, it happens. I, I'm you gonna know, blame you... the premise. I'm gonna blame the premise. It was a bad one. premise. Hacky, hacky. <laughs> it was prison sex. Yeah. All right. So they sneak me out the back when I leave because TMZ's there. Yeah. I go home. They drop the charges, all that sort of stuff, and but. The city wants to meet with me to make sure... This is the key part. Yeah. The city wants to meet with me to make sure that I'm not like some crazed knucklehead. Right. That this is going to be a repeated thing. Right. But the charges have been dropped. My lawyer says, you need to go to anger management. I'm like, why? He goes, because if we say you've gone five times to anger management to the city, that'll really show that... So I went to anger management, and I learned at anger anger management, I don't have an anger problem. I had an ego problem. Huh. And then all I did what wanted to do was stop my ego. And that's all I focused on for like How'd the How'd you past learn that? Year. What do you mean? Well, that was a fallacy too. Because there is no stopping. I learned you can't stop your no, ego. No, but I mean, but like had you had anger issues before? No. No, I've I've I I, I, I not real I mean like I've gotten angry as people get angry, but I do not have I never had an anger problem. But but so how do you differentiate? What well, well, you're sitting there in anger management and, and you realize this thing. How'd you realize that? Because if you have an anger problem, your impulse in any situation is to go to anger. Mm-hmm. Me, I'll feel a feeling or eat a sandwich. Yeah. Um <laughs> instead of feeling a feeling. <laughs> no, for me it was it was it was about my ego, my ego of being called fat. That's what it affected. My righteous indignation was all about, why would she call me fat? She doesn't know that I've worked so hard not to be that fat and all that, but it was ego. And then I, I thought, I, I, as I studied this, I thought nothing good comes, confidence, supremely good things happen. Um, being kind and humble, even though you're confident, is fantastic. But ego screws up everything orders of shows there's nothing good that comes from ego so i set about eliminating ego and this happened to me at 51 not 52 so it was a year and a half ago so i set about eliminating ego but then i learned because you examine everything there is no eliminating ego what you have to do is recognize it and say enough with that that's not going to do anybody any good well the the spiritual path is to get egoless to some degree well to yes but i i've learned so far in my journey that you can't eliminate the ego you can only recognize it and see it for the bullshit that it is and then it goes away try to act differently try to be real to it's have, not trying to be differently you accept it you see it and then you make the choices that you make right but sometimes you're too late and you have to say like oh that was a bad choice Yes, you have your set. You have to be forgiving of of yourself, but it's almost like when people say, "How do you go up on stage? Aren't you scared?" Well, I went through when I got sick with my heart. I went through a period of stage fright, which I also worked through. That's the only way you can do it is work through it. But I also learned about that is if you've got stage fright or anxiety, you have to go, "Hi, stage fright. Hi, anxiety. I see you're here." And you can't say, don't feel this way, don't feel this way. You have to see them, accept it, and make your choices. And it works for me. Yeah. So in Chicago, before you started doing Mm stand-up, you did Second City? No, I was doing Second City and stand-up at the same time. Both you started both at the same time? 
Uh, no, I'd been doing stand-up before I started Second City. Now, how long were you at Second City? Mm, over the late 80s. But you were, in the, you were in the troupe? I was in every troupe. And I was fired from every troupe, and I quit every troupe. I would Why? be up and down. Why did you get fired? For the same reason that you and I would have trouble getting a spot at the comedy cellar. When you're, you know what it was? Audiences love me mm. in improv, but my peers didn't respect me. And then in stand-up, my peers respected me, but audiences were confused they, by wh me. Why didn't your peers respect you in improv? I... I, I now I look back and I think a lot of it had to do with jealousy. Yeah? Because I've seen it with other people. Yes. I would say that one was more jealousy. And I wouldn't say the audiences in stand-up who didn't like me were jealous. I just didn't... I didn't figure it out. I hadn't figured it out. But I knew from my time at Second City when I went out that, that I had an inherent likability in the group setting that you could point to me and go, there's the funny one. Yeah. You know, the other six people on stage with me or five people, maybe one other might be funny and one might be pretty funny. And then the other ones, three or four, not funny at all. Right. That's normal. Right. Okay. And so I would walk out in that situation and the audience immediately would go, we like him. He's funny. Mm -hmm. No matter what my skill was. It's right. almost like in stand-up, a hack who's really comfortable and a funny person. And big guys but, too. What's that? Big guys. Big, big Audiences tend to like big guys. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so when you were in Chicago, mm -hmm. when did you uh, when did you live with Conan? I lived with Conan sometime in the late '80s. Bob Odenkirk said to me, "You know, uh, there's a writer strike, and a friend of mine's moving here to Chicago from L.A. or something." Yeah, but anyhow, he goes, "His name's Conan," which I laughed at, and then he moved in, and we. Um, he was probably one of the. He was one of the one of the two or three funniest people I'd ever spent time around. I would wake him up at four in the morning to have him do funny things. I'm when you come home, up. like I'd come home and he'd be sleeping, and I go do that George Takei in this scenario thing, and then we did like a fake talk show in the living room where he where he was actually the host, uh -huh. and I was his guest. I either played Adam West or myself, uh -huh. and he was generally George Takei. It was during that period where Fox was looking, before Arsenio, yeah. after Joan Rivers, and they were looking for someone. Yeah. So we did our fake one in the living room where I was always the guest. Right. He was always the host who was frustrated by me mm -hmm. as the guest. Little did we know, little did we know that he would go on to be a talk show host. Right, and how, how long did you live with him? We lived together less than a year. Yeah. Yeah. He was over there. Was he only in Chicago for that amount of time? Yeah, yeah. When he left, it wasn't like he, I have to get out of here. And then, how'd you get to Florida? Well, I was my family moved to Florida, South oh. Florida, when I was in Chicago when I was a kid. Uh -huh. I was twelve, and then I I started comedy in South Florida at twenty, moved back to Chicago at twenty two to do Where, second. Where did you start in South Florida? The comic strip, the same one from New York. Yeah, yeah, they I had one. He had, in, yeah, then and, and I started there with Brian Regan. Mm -hmm. That was that mm -hmm. was my other contemporary. I started with and Dennis. Dennis Denton. didn't start down there. Oh. No, he started in New York after that. So you were seeing all the New York guys coming through there? Meeting all of them. Yeah. Seinfeld, I mean, everybody. Yeah. Dom Herrera was Dom Herrera was one of the headliners. They had three headliners getting $600 a piece. Yeah. Each doing uh, 40 minutes. Yeah. He was one of the headliners my very first night going on stage. Oh, yeah? Which was June 12th, 1982, or June 14th, 82, I believe. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now let's talk about our pitch. You want to go pitch? <laughs> I'm sorry. 
By the way, I look on that fondly. No, I do too. I'm just yeah. trying. I'm trying to remember exactly how we came together because I know I was not in a good place and I was needed to pitch something. And yeah, you know, I'm. I'm not. Was remember. it an outside person who asked us, or did you approach me? Well, I, just, I don't remember. I, I don't remember what it was. I, but. I, I think I might have thought of you, but you had that office and that in the Asahi Bureau Building, which yeah. is now the Samsung Building. I'm no longer there, but I, I had my office there through a lot of really. I must children. have been looking to pair up with a writer. Yes, yeah, I, I don't think well, I, I mean, had a I mean, deal. I remember that was also the time where, like Larry and Jerry had done it. You know, there was like a history of that. That other right, but I don't think I had to. a deal. No, you didn't have a deal. Yeah, I, I just, didn't have a deal either. Um, and then we got together. We come up with this. Uh, what was it? A cop show? It was everything I ever think of is generally, except for Curb, is pretty much a, a cop show in some way. You were actually. I was a cop. You were an investigative journalist, right? And it was you and I figuring out crimes, right? <laughs> that, then, I mean, that's really what it was. And then the, I know what you're going to bring up. We always bring we had it up. we had a yes, we do, and it's a word I still use. I, I say it all the time. I think it's a funny word, and that was grandma was our safe, our deep throat guy. I, I, no, no, it was our safety word. And then when we were writing, I said, "Why not make your actual grandma our informant?" Right. That's how it started. For the for the informant. And you're like, why ha- why not have it be your actual grandma? Why not be like, your actual grandma? I'm like, it makes no sense. And you're like, no, it's great. It's great. I still, by the way, I stand behind it. And by the way, I stand behind that show. We pitched it. Yeah. To, to deaf ears. Yes. We pitched it a couple times, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Nobody was interested. I'm not kidding you. I thought it was a great show. When it was over, I wasn't like, oh, that's, I thought that would have been a funny show. Yeah. It would have been a funny show. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, no, very much so. And it was before pre curb. Yeah, for sure. So now, what? what's the big plan? You made another movie. You made uh, Someone You Cheese With, and then you made another movie. Yeah, Dealing with Idiots. That didn't do as well. It was an improvised movie. I shot it in 12 days. Yeah, who was in that? Um, Nia Vardalos, Jamie Gertz, Richard Kind, Fred Willard. People can see that? Yeah, it's on uh, Netflix and uh, iTunes and all that. Um, who, who else? Uh, well, what's his name? He stars in Justified. Timothy Oliphant is in it. He plays my father. I know that sounds yeah. weird, but they're flashbacks. Not, not flashbacks. They're dreams I have. And what do you, what's, are you working on another movie? I'm doing two things right now. I'm writing. Next summer, I'll either be doing, I don't want to talk about it, but I'll be doing a stand-up special. Mm-hmm. And, do you need help you, with that? Because I can... Well, maybe my sets, but I'm doing something that's never been done before. And when I say that, it's not even like close to anything that's ever been done before. Again. Because specials have become anything but. Those so are, are you going to do your special on a plane or something? Nope, I'm not. It's not. It's not. It's not where I'm doing it, and it's not how I'm doing the stand-up. I'm not reinventing that. I'm re- reinventing the presentation, and it'll be done in a way. That's never been done, and are you going to do it live, like door to door, like when people order no, your special? You fly there, there. By the way, by the way, what if I told you there's even nothing clever about it? I hate cleverness. Runs cleverness, you're done with in two minutes. Yeah. Oh, that's clever. Done. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, this is, is going to stick. Yes, it's going to be something that people people are going to say, "Why didn't I think of that?" Mm-hmm. And I hope it works. I hope you don't wait too long. Well, no, it doesn't. It's not. By the way, it's truly no one's. It's it's, it's not, so simple. It's right under our noses. It is, but it uses my particular talents. 
And all right, so that's happening. And then uh, th- that, and then a movie. I'm making a movie, an imp- another improvised movie. Yeah. And one of them will be this summer because I'm after this month. I'm stopping stand up until I'm done with the Goldbergs. I can't do both. Okay. I don't like being mediocre. Are you going there? To, are you going to stand up tonight? Uh, tonight. No, tonight I have my book club at Book Soup. Uh, where we've read Lolita. Oh yeah, you finished it. Not by Nabokov. And you just do uh, a book club for fun. I, actually, to be honest with you, I've been doing it to help Book Soup from the standpoint of I don't care if if no one shows up for my book club, like the actual book club, as long as they sell like 50 books, which yeah, they yeah. seem to do. Got to support the independent book So sales. I'm supporting Book Soup by doing this. You know, like 15 people show up and yeah. we discuss the book. There's probably two or three that are there to ask me questions about Curb Your Enthusiasm. How, how did your book do? My book book? Yeah. Ah. What was it called again? Uh, my footprint, and then uh, uh, curbing it. It's the the paperbacks. They they insisted when they put out the paperback that they wanted curb in the title. So I thought of the least offensive, which was curbing it. And it was about uh, your weight. A lot of it, it was about. It was two things. One part of it is really good, and part of it is boring. Mm. It's about me trying to lose weight and go green. Well, I made the Seinfeld season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And the stuff about Curb Your Enthusiasm and me trying to lose weight is really good. The um, the stuff going green, which is a smaller part of the book, at least for me personally, I regret it. Some of it's good, but I just regret it. Well, what, me, do you struggle with the food thing every day? Every day. I'm an addict, man. Yeah. That's, that's how I approach it. I'm, a, I'm an addict. And... Um, I even go to AA meetings sometimes because Not they're OA. so. Oh, see, here's the problem with OA. OA is a lot of people at OA are very casual. Mm-hmm. They haven't hit bottom, man. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go to an AA meeting, but these are ones that I know people in them will go to them. Nobody there is not taking it seriously. So, like, what's what was your worst night eating? Well, eating and eating until I th- couldn't stop throwing up. Really. Yeah, not making myself throw up. No, mind just you. literally you can't. Yeah, you know, eating. I mean, eating a a, a box of of uh, little Debbie cakes, and the same night having a half gallon of ice cream and maybe a bowl of Captain Crunch oh and three or four Pop Tarts, just at home. Just at, home, at home, I used to always. This is, I put this in. I want someone to eat cheese with. I used to go to the Seven Eleven by Wrigley Field. Yeah. Buy a bunch of crap and sit on my the hood of my car by the left field wall. And just down it. And then I go off to... No joy. No joy. And the feelings they were stuffing down, they were stuffed down temporarily. And then, of course, you feel worse. What was most of the feelings? But See, this is the thing. Okay. So I made this movie I Want Someone to Eat Cheese with. And people who saw it early on, when it was still a rough cut, I would show good things happening to me and then eating. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't associate with that. I wish I kept it in because it's any feeling, man. It's not it's not bad feeling. Keep it's, it going or make it go away. It's just it's just it's any feeling. Right. Anything you feel you want to shove down. And then discovering later on codependency and all that stuff. Man, I'm an addict. And that's, you don't come from addicts? N- not not to my knowledge. So the codependency thing, how does that reveal itself? It's sort of weird because that's what you do professionally. I know it is. I know, but but you know, you're uh, an enabler. I help. I look to help people. I'm always wanting to help you. You help me all the time. I know, as a friend and stuff. But I think that also that's part of my codependency. It makes me feel better. 
Not that it, when you help other people, you shouldn't feel better, but... But to do it for that reason as opposed to do it for real, you know, right. genuine... Well, it's, it's like when you, when you wait to be defined by what somebody texts you back. Yeah. I've always said I'm too sensitive to text. Yeah. I'm getting better at it now because I'm learning through my It's hard because they can be kind of ambiguous. That's true, too. Like, what does yeah. that mean? What does that mean? Of yeah. course. Yeah. Or silence. When which I is texted, fuck you, it meant, it meant I was being nice. If you t- text me, fuck you, I would laugh. <laughs> Even if it came out of nowhere, I would just laugh. Well, I, I love you, buddy. I know you do, and I love you, too. I love you. I love you. I, you're the greatest. So we're- um, We're good? Oh, we're great. This was- But see, I had a ball doing this. Yeah. This, by the way, this was everything I dreamed it would be. <laughs> it is. It we, was. We did all right. We did great. This was fantastic. And this is what, by the way, which is uh, the name of my show, um, <laughs> What the reason people love this show, yeah. and I, outside of you, as I think, as human beings in this world that we live in now, yeah. we get so little in the world of entertainment, in the world of things that are electronically and digitally brought to you mm-hmm. that are really human yeah. and to the point and real. Yeah. And this show is completely grounded and real and human. It's people being human beings. And what's more joyful than that? <laughs> no matter how dark you get, yeah. it is completely and utterly joyful. And and I, I'm going to tell you this too. The number of people who tell me that they love your show. Yeah. My gosh. Good. So many. People love your show. Nobody has ever said... That show is okay. Right. To a man, to a woman, everyone that talks about it loves it. So there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. And look at you saying thank you. I love that. That is great. Just saying thank you, not throwing some other bullshit in. I'm not going to throw any bullshit in. I love that. I'm not going to throw any other bullshit in. I appreciate that, man. I love that. Thanks, buddy. Sure. Thank you. Bye. All right, that was a nice conversation with Jeff. I uh, enjoyed his company. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get some JustCoffee.coop over there. They'll st- they're still churning out the WTF blend. Get the app. Upgrade to premium. Get them all. Mike Judge. Mike Judge this Thursday. Long chat. A long chat with the with the with the judge. <coughs>